0: Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com. I went, to, uh, I went to a lot of local shows, I went to uh, a lot of tours, a lot of uh, arena shows, sold-out shows, shows with 20 people, concerts, a lot of different things, and as I hung out more at concerts and shows, I started to learn uh, that there were, there were a few things that you could kind of always count on, and one of those things uh, was, was that ticketing and, and backstage passes were always done a certain way, and so... Um, some friends of mine uh, maybe that I should have been hanging out with, we realized that, that we were really good at, at getting backstage or getting VIP passes that were left at Will Call for other people uh, pretty, pretty easily. And so we would learn to sneak backstage and, and hang out there. And I'm not going to tell that story. Some of you are already judging me, so I'll just stop right there. But uh, there's another thing that I learned uh, in hanging out at, at a lot of concerts. Um, and that was that, that all of the people that that seemed to be like the famous ones at concerts, they just looked like they belonged, if that makes any sense. They had a, they had a certain look to them. So uh, this, was, this was back before social media. This is back before uh, the internet. And so trends would move a lot slower. And so when, when, sh- when someone would show up to a concert and they were in the band or they were the promoter and they had ever spent a minute of their life in like New York City or LA, it was really obvious, right? Because all these shows that I was at were in like Akron, Ohio or Cleveland, Ohio. And so uh, if someone had on a really nice, well-manicured goodwill outfit or some horn-rimmed glasses in 1999 that really made you stand out right and so we started to realize that you could you could be at these shows and and even if you didn't know the opening band someone would maybe like sneak out a side door or something we'd be like i bet that guy's a bass player for someone he looks important he's he's going to get some food he's going to he's going to meet some friends or something and so we started to just spot people and and meet people and talk to people and i don't know if we started getting bored at concerts or, or what was our problem but we decided one time when we were going to a show, we were like, what would it look like to just dress like insanely famous, you know? Like, the version of that now would probably be like having the Justin Bieber hair like hang over one of your eyes or something and like flat iron it and everything. But we were like, what would it look like if we just looked really famous? And so uh, we were on our way to this concert called 10 Bands for 10 Bucks. Uh, it was up in Cleveland, and they would do this big thing every year. Most of these bands are national bands, but we thought, let's just let's just try to look famous and let's tell people that we're the 11th band. And so uh, this is right as boy bands were taking off and so we couldn't come up with a good name but we thought it'd be funny to be tongue in cheek and so we named ourselves the Hot Boys. Now you're thinking maybe if you know your late 90s hip hop, Mark, wasn't there a group called the Hot Boys? Yes, there was. Lil Wayne was part of it. But that was spelled with an S. Our hot boys was spelled with a Z. And so uh, the flyers that we made were a little different. And so we, we, these flyers said, like, stick around tonight. Special 11's band added and performing. And so uh, we dressed up like boy bands do with, like, certain personalities. So I had on a, a jail jumpsuit that I had bought at Goodwill that just made me, like, the bad boy, right? Um, my one friend had on, like, all denim. So he was, like, the mysterious heartthrob. And there was the guy uh, that was the, the athlete, kind of taking cue from Sporty Spice. Some of you remember the Spice Girls, right? And... Uh, uh, we, had some, we had some other guys. We had one guy that was just like the, the one that you forget about, kind of like the Joey Fatone from Insync. No one even remembers if he was in the group or not. One Insync fan over there laughed. All right. And, uh, and then we had, we, we started running out of outfits. And so my little brother was going that night and we were like, we found this uh, giant turtleneck thing that my mom had and a beret. And we're like, you're going to be the French one. And uh, this is not even joking. He was like... But I'm taking Spanish, and we're like, doesn't matter, just don't talk all night, right? So we, we show up to this concert, I promise this actually really happened, and we were, we were just like trying to act mysterious and famous, so we would like pretend we were trying to duck backstage, we're hanging out like over here as far back as they would let us, and, but acting like we're wanting to see things, and, and people start to notice, and they're like, hey, who are you guys, what are you guys doing? And eventually like people want autographs, and people wanted pictures and things, and so we're trying to like stay apart though, so we put like a few people there, and like one back there, and we acted like we never wanted to be together as a group, and we never wanted to be there, and eventually like started catching on and they're like, who are you guys? We need you to come over here and they're talking to us and one of these girls that wanted a picture with our friend was like, well, why don't you guys sing a song? And uh, it's funny because we were all musical guys. Like three of the guys that did this are now worship pastors and, and we, you, they were like, uh, we well, we're, we're saving our vocal cords, you know, and, like, just start making stuff up. And she's like, well, just tell me, when does your album come out? You know, and she starts looking around, and we're, like, all turning red, and eventually, you know, it's, it's this, this thing that we've been weaving, it's, it's just starting to unravel. Like, we're a band or a group that has no songs. We can't sing. We don't know when our album's coming out. And the more she started to look at us, I think she realized that my little brother wasn't French at all, because she, she heard him say, we should sing something. And it's like, that's not French. Right, And so these, these people, they were like, there was like a crowd of like 10 people around us. And eventually they're like, you guys are fake and just walked away. Right, They got to that point where they're looking at us and they're like, you're not real. You're phony. You're fake. You're not who you said you are. You're a joke. Right? Have, have you, ever, you ever been a part of, of something like that? Maybe you've been a part of some, some scheme where you were pretending to be someone that you're not. Maybe, maybe someone has fooled you into thinking that they were someone that they're not. We want to talk this morning as we jump into this series, we want to talk about what it looks like to be genuine, what it looks like to be who we say we are. We're starting this series called I Love My City, and I love my city... Is a really good thing that would look great on a bumper sticker, right? I love my city. We know that we live in a city that has a ton of pride. We like to all wear shirts that have script Ohio, and there's probably like 10 clothing lines in Ohio and in Columbus, and, and everyone loves Columbus, and everyone glory to Columbus, and we've got all these things, and yet what does it look like to really love our city? Well, being genuine and being real and not being fake and not being a phony is the part of, of loving our city that we want to look at today. If we're Christ followers, if we are Christians, and we're going To love our city, we think that that means that we should be devoted to our city, and we think our heart for our city should evidence itself in our actions for our city. You can't say that you love someone or you love your city and not let that pour out in your emotions or in your actions in some way. And so, I want to invite you to to turn to a passage in the Bible that we want to look at today. It's Mark chapter 11, verses 12 to 25. If you've got a Bible there on your seat in front of you, behind you, somewhere, it's on page seven seventy-two, and we're doing this uh, this special short series leading up to Easter here in a few weeks because we want to look at our motives and we want to look at our attitude and we want to look at the genuineness of how we love our city and the opportunity in front of us to love those around us to take the gospel to us and respond to the opportunity that God has given us. We don't ever want someone to look at us and say, "You're not who you said you are. You're a fake." you're a phony. You're not from France. You're not in a boy band. You got that jumpsuit from Goodwill. We don't ever want someone to say that. And so let's look at this passage together. Page 772. As you're opening the Bible there, if you don't have a copy of God's word, we would love for you to take that Bible home with you today just to have and to read and to learn and to grow. But go ahead and follow along. Mark chapter 11, verses 12 to 25, page 772. I'll read and you can follow along. It says this. This is talking about Jesus and his disciples. It says, the next morning, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off. So he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, may no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. Verse 15, Jesus clears the temple. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves, and he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. When the leading priests and teachers of religious law heard what Jesus had done, they began planning how to kill him, but they were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teaching. That evening, Jesus and the disciples left the city. Verse 20 says this, the next morning as they passed by the fig tree he had cursed, the disciples noticed it withered from the roots up. Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed, look, rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. Then Jesus said to the disciples, have faith in God. I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. It's an interesting story here in Scripture, and we see the account of, of this fig tree kind of sandwiched around Jesus uh, entering and, and doing some, some business in the temple. And and so he, Jesus, he, he sees this tree, he's traveling with the disciples, and, and they're looking at this this fig tree, and, and obviously, as, as you just heard and as we just read, this fig tree is, is not bearing fruit. Now, the passage says it's too early in the season for fruit, and yet this this tree has leaves. So... Um, I know that the fig consumption in Hilliard is probably not super high this time of year, uh, unless we're counting fig Newtons. And even, though, even those things kind of peaked in the 80s, if we're being honest, I think. And so uh, we, don't, we don't know a lot about figs and, and fig trees. So let me give you a little background here. Um, this, this is a tree that, that in this part of the world, in Israel, in the Middle East, uh, was, was huge. They would, they would plant these trees. And after about three years, they would actually uh, give a crop twice a year. And so imagine if, if you could have a double crop with something. So they would... They would plant fig trees, they would bear fruit, not once, but but twice a year, and so they were a major source of of food and, and income. And what you may not know about fig trees is that their leaves and the fruit grow at the exact same time. So someone could look at that and say, oh, there's leaves on that tree. Well, the, the fruit's probably coming later. No, no, that's, that's not how this works. When the leaves are there, the fruit is supposed to be there. It's all supposed to be the same. And so if you saw a fig tree from a distance, if you saw the leaves, you would be able to say, let's go over and get some fruit. Let's go grab a bite to eat. Let's, let's get some, some food and let Jesus and the disciples walk up to this. And from a distance, it looked like it had something. And as they get closer, there's nothing, nothing on this tree. And so this is a, a picture that Jesus is giving us, a picture that he's painting of hypocrisy, something that appears to be fruitful from a distance, and yet when, when you really get up close, when, when, you, when you peer and, and you look at that, when the, when the leaves are shaken and when you're, when you're looking right at it, there's, there's nothing there. It's empty, it's unfruitful, and there's nothing And so Jesus is giving us a reference point of what it looks like to be religious. What does it look like to say we have fruit and pretend we have fruit and want others to think we have fruit, and yet when when someone is close and looking at us, we have nothing. We have no substance. We have nothing. We're just a barren fig tree. This tree might have been one that was developed, it might have been one that had this great root system, it might have been one that looked really cool, it might have been the biggest tree in town, the one that people talked about, and yet when you got up close and looked at it, there was nothing really there to speak of. The fig tree was also representative in this time and place in this setting with the nation of Israel because of passage in the book of Joel. It was, it was synonymous with this country. And so the the disciples, as they heard this, they would have sensed this connection. They would have recognized the connection of, oh, we're being called a a fig tree again, or we're being compared to a fig tree, or oh, we're talking about fig trees. I see it. I get it. I understand it. And so the first question that that we can ask, we, we look at a passage like this, and we think, what is Jesus trying to teach them? What is Jesus trying to teach us? It's a simple concept. Does your faith, Does your walk with Jesus, does your faith have visible fruit when people get close? We have a a unique subculture in America, don't we? We talk about going to church. We see people when we're out for lunch on Sunday. Oh, just coming coming from church, me and the kids, we are at church. We have church stickers on our car. I have one, guilty. They're all right, right? The sticker's not the problem. But we have a lot of things that we we talk about. We listen to a certain radio station, right? And we we have certain clothes sometimes. We have certain stickers on our car, and we talk about certain things. And yet, when someone gets up close and looks into your life, into your relationships, into your marriage, into your business ethics, into the way that you manage people, is there visible fruit in your life? Have you been changed because of your relationship with Jesus? Has your time in the presence of God, with God, wanting to be more like God, changed your heart and changed your character? There's a a passage in the Bible that that references the fruit of the Spirit. As we give our lives to Jesus, as we are given the Holy Spirit to, to guide us and to walk life with us, We're told that that our lives should have more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So as people look at your life, do they see those things? Do they see love? Do they see selfishness? Do they see joy? Or do they see happiness that depends on if you got a bonus or not, or if you've had your coffee yet? Do people see the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And it's an interesting concept to, to talk about fruit, because most of you know that fruit contains seeds, right? Seeds are are, are something that multiplies. And so if, if you're going to say that your life has fruit, how has your life, how has your faith, how has your relationship with Jesus multiplied itself? Does the joy in your life pass on to others that are around you? Do your business ethics pass? to the other people on your team? Does the way that, that your marriage looks affect the marriages of people you rub shoulders with? Does your faith have visible fruit when people get close? Or does it just look good from a distance? Where's the fruit in your life? These two stories are sandwiched around this, this account of Jesus going into the temple. And so when Jesus goes into the temple, as we read this, we've already got hypocrisy, this, this fake act. We've got that in our minds, right? We're reading it through that lens. And see, we see, we see people in the in the temple who are, who are selling things, who are running kind of a, a, a cha- exchange process, right? They're, they're selling things that can be sacrificed in the temple, and they're changing money so that people from other regions could have the, the right money or the right things that they needed as they, as they came to the temple. Did some, some nerdy reading this week, and, and they think that the exchange rate was about 4 to 8% in this time, and so it's not that, that these people thought they were just getting an exact exchange. They knew that there was some profit being made off of them, and, and Jewish literature kind of tells us, well, that was, that was standard. There were people who made their living off of that, and yet Jesus was looking at this, and he's saying, I know your heart's. The, the money that was being taken would probably be similar to if, if we go into a store today, we know that, that if we swipe a credit card, someone's losing 3%, right? Sometimes they'll say to you, hey, we're going to we're gonna have to upcharge you a couple percent to pay for the credit transaction. Or sometimes the company is losing that 3%, right? And there are people that, that install those machines and are part of that transaction process. And we know that someone is making a standardized percentage, but imagine if, if all of a sudden that price was, was made greater and it just kind of crept up and crept up and you, you think that credit transactions are about 3%. Imagine if all of a sudden they were 10 and then they were 20. Regardless of where they were, Jesus is looking at the, the guys and the people that are running this process and he's saying, I know your hearts I know what you're pretending to do. You're pretending to make worship easier for people to streamline this process and make it so they can come in the temple and, 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 and take care of what they want to do and go back to their lives. But he's saying, I see your heart. I see your motives. I see what you're doing. You're doing it in the, in the name of God. But he says, you've made this house of prayer a den of robbers. He's saying these people are religious and they should, they should know better than to do what they're doing with those motives. What they're doing is keeping people from God. They're they're increasing what what people had to bring to God. It used to be you could bring bring $20. Well, now you're going to need $26. You used to be able to bring $26. Now you're going to need $35. And so worship, the price of worship and the price of being in the presence of God, the price of being in the temple, and that whole process was not streamlined. They were pretending it was streamlined. They are pre- pretending it's affordable, pretending it's easy, and it's not. It just continues to go up and up and up. Think of, think of an infomercial when we watch those. And they tell you about this uh, nonstick pan that you can't live without and you've got to have. And you're like, that's a pretty good nonstick pan. I think I, I, think I want to buy that nonstick pan. And then they say, but wait, there's more you get the egg slicer. And you're like, I need that egg slicer and the nonstick pan. My life is incomplete without those. And then they say, but wait, there's more. You get two egg slicers, two nonstick pans. You can give one to your grandma for Christmas. And you're just like, yes, the decision is made. I will be buying this today. That's what my life has been lacking, right? They're they're kind of doing the the opposite of that, though. They're pretending, hey, we're going to take care of you. We're going to make this transaction easy. Come into the temple. Come into the presence of God. Come and worship God. Come and be children of God. Come and be God's people. And then when you get there, they're saying, oh, oh, did we, say, did we say two nonstick pans? Well, what we meant was a half of a nonstick pan. And you think, what can I do with a half of a pan? Well, yeah, you're probably going to need to buy the other half or it's not really going to do its job. You know that you're supposed to sacrifice this. Well, that, that used to cost this much. Now it costs this much. And so if you want to be in the presence of God, if you want to be made right with God, if you want to worship God, you're going to have to do this. And so scripture tells us that the temple of God was supposed to be a place where the nations could come and be in God's presence. Not just the Jews, but, but this is telling us that, that the nations are supposed to be able to come and worship God. These are the, the Gentiles. These are people that, that traditionally have not been known as the children of God. They're supposed to be able to come into this place in this time and see God and worship God and interact with God and know that they're his children. And yet they're leaving With a bad taste in their mouth because of this process. And Jesus is looking at this process and saying, You're the problem. You're keeping these people from worshiping God, from knowing God, from being in the presence of God, from walking into this temple and being able to pray to God. And so, as we look at being phony and and being false and being hypocrites, we've already asked the question when people get up close to your life, do they see fruit? When they really examine your life closely, do they see fruit? Here's another question, though. Does your faith invite people to God or chase them away? Some of us like to think, well, I, I kind of have some fruit. I'm doing some good things, and there's, there's stuff going on, and this isn't meant to, to judge or, or make anyone feel too guilty this morning, but I think it's, it's obvious application of this passage, a question that Jesus wants us to ask. Does your faith invite people to God or chase them away? Are the things that you're doing reflecting well on the name of Jesus, or are they reflecting poorly? Does your life and your function and your attitude and your demeanor and your marriage and your career and your relationships and your personality does it chase people away from God? Or is it a billboard to say this is a life and this is a person who has been changed? You can be changed. What does your life say? The fig tree set the stage for what we, what we saw in the temple. Both of these things look good from a distance. Right? Some people would say, oh, that tree over there is really doing a great job. It's green, it's got leaves, and, and things are going great. And look at those nice people in the temple. Look at what they're doing. They've set up this exchange rate, and so people that have other coins or other money, they can come in and quickly buy a sacrifice, and they can worship and go about their business and get on with their day, and those two things are great. And yet when you get close, when you look at them, you realize that neither is what it pretends to be. Neither one of them is, is who it says it is. It's a phony it's fake. It's false. These things are, are hypocrites. Here's our big idea for this morning. It's simply this. Is your faith real or a really good imitation? Some of you grew up in families where you bought imitation food all the time. I grew up in one of those families where uh, we would buy Doritos and it would just be an all-white bag that would say Doritos, Right? Actually it wouldn't even say Doritos, because that's a copyrighted name, right? It would say like nacho chips or something, right? And so I feel well versed in in what it means to to be an imitation. Sometimes a good imitation, sometimes not. Right? Some of you know that instead of Apple Jacks, you would buy Apple Dapples, I think they're called. Something like that, right? You've, you've, you've bought Cocoa Rice and all, the, all those fake cereals, right? You know what a good imitation looks like. And some people will say, it's made in the same factory and all of those things. And we won't talk cereal philosophy today, although I'm very passionate about it, right? But we'll just say that we know what a good imitation looks like. And, and for everything a good imitation is, there might be moments that you're like, it's the exact same thing. When I serve it to guests and I've got it in my, my clear Tupperware container, no one knows that it's, it's, it's apple dapples instead of apple jacks. And yet when you get close, you can tell, right? It's got a little more chemical taste that kind of throws you off, right? And people, people know what an imitation is. And so is your faith real? Is your faith genuine or is it a good imitation? There's a passage in the book of James that that says that our faith, a life lived for Jesus, a life given to Jesus should result in fruit, should result in action, should result in life change and us looking different than the world and the people around us. And so when people look at your life, do they see fruit? Do they see action? Do they see change and transformation? Do they see your heart? If we're going to say, I love my city. When people look at you, do they see someone who loves their city? Not just their city, but their suburb. Not just their suburb, but their street. Not just their street, but the immediate houses around them, their neighbors, their friends. Do you love not just everyone in your company? Do you love the the five people that have cubicles around you? Are you thinking of them and sharing life with them? Are you taking care of them? Do you love the people that you see and and pass every day in the hallways, at your job, at school? Are you loving your roommates? Are you loving your family? What fruit and what actions can they see in your life that prove that there's transformation in your heart? That because Jesus is in your life, you have been changed and you are different. Are you real? Are you just a really good imitation? This this passage of scripture is interesting because in the context that it's listed in, we see a, a lot of different things. Jesus has been living and traveling with his disciples and doing miracles, and he's in the the period of life that we call kind of his earthly ministry. And and he says this in just the chapter before. It says this. It says, They were now on their way up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were filled with awe, and the people following behind them were overwhelmed with fear. Taking the twelve disciples aside, Jesus once more began to describe everything that was about to happen to him. Listen, he said, We're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man, talking about himself, will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip, and kill him. But after three days, he will rise again. Just standard talk amongst buddies when you're hanging out on a hike, right? You say, by the way, Son of Man's about to be killed. It's not going to be pretty, but he'll, he'll, he'll be raised to life after three days. No, this, this is a big deal that as we read back on this, we think that should have stood out in their minds. That should have kind of told them there was some transition in place. Things were about to change, and Jesus had come for a purpose, and he had been saying this purpose. He said, I came to give my life so that you could have life, so that the world could have life, so that you could know God. And yet, as, as they heard this, I, apparently they just thought like, oh, he's being Jesus again, always oh, talking about that spiritual stuff. And so they didn't listen they didn't pay attention. And so when the time came, when this plan unfolded, when things went down just as he said they were going to happen, people people watched this and the world turned on Jesus and people started to say, are, are you one of, one of these guys? No, don't. Don't know the, that Jesus guy. This, this group and this tribe of these disciples that had been invested in and done ministry with him and walked with him, they just started to disappear. And there was nothing there just a few days later. Maybe they would, they would gather, but they were hiding out together and they were scared, they were afraid, and they didn't know what to do. And so you can look at their faith at this point and say, is your faith real or were you a really good imitation? And up until this point, For better or worse, the disciples were probably a, a really good imitation because they were still processing some things. Their faith was still growing. There was no visible fruit. And when they came to a time of being tested, they would just shrink back and disappear. And yet when Jesus was raised from the dead, when he gave his life on the, on the cross for you and I, And he came back and he he talked to them and and they processed what had happened. And he said, this is what I said was gonna happen. This is what I just did. I did this for you. I gave my life for the price of your sins so that you could have life. Something changed and something clicked and those guys went from being a really good imitation to being genuine and to being real. Because all but one of those men, as as we know and as we study gave their life to spread the gospel. They were willing to lose their life to see the story of Jesus and the echo of Jesus' love live on. So if you're looking at your faith today and you're thinking, you know what, I've I've kind of been an imitation. I puff my chest out, I go to church on Sundays, I, I, I let people make sure they see the leaves and yet when they get real close, there's no fruit in my life, there's nothing here. faith and action go together and I don't I don't have action but I talk about my faith a lot and try to try to look good the same could be said of the the men that traveled and lived with Jesus and yet there was a there was a period that they had their their come to Jesus moment there was a period that they said I'm going to change I've been false I've been phony I've been kind of fake I've been in an imitation and yet from here forward people are going to know what my life stands for they're going to see me with with principles, they're going to see me, they're going to see my motives, they're going to see my action, they're going to see a difference, they're going to see transformation, they're going to notice something different about me. See, sometimes when we say I love my city, what we really mean is, I love myself. Right? I love my city, I love my my neighbors, I I want people to know about Jesus. Not enough to actually do anything, not enough to inconvenience myself, not enough to change the way I live or my quality of life or my budget or my relationships, but I love my city, yay. It's kind of like a high school pep rally sometimes when you're just like, well, I don't really like anyone on the football team, but this is better than going to a class, so all right, I'll cheer for this period, right? We'll, we'll, We'll act like we're gonna win homecoming. My high school football team went 0 and 20 my junior and senior year. And so we would have a, a pep rally every year. We didn't really know why, but we, we got out of class, right? So it was better than nothing. So we're like, go Bobcats, woo, right? So sometimes that's what, that's what Christianity looks like when we're saying, I love my city. I love people. I have God's heart for this area. I have God's heart for these people and I want them to know him. And oh, really? Tell me more about that. Well, there's not much more to tell you. I just I love my city. If you love your city... You're going to love and care for people around you. And it's going to change your motives. It's going to change your attitude. It's going to change your personality. It's going to change the way that you live and and function. So what what does that look like? We've been talking a lot about Easter. We've been talking a lot about some practical things that we could do. I heard someone say this last week. They said, if we're really functioning on mission, they said, I think that we can change the world with four dozen cookies. Some of you don't know how to bake, and so you think, yeah, absolutely, four dozen cookies would change my world. I wish someone would make them for me, right? Some of you are like, I bake cookies all the time. What would it look like to let the people in your immediate context know that there's something different about you, that you care for them? Just to take them a dozen cookies, your next door neighbor, the person that has the apartment next to you, your roommate, or or maybe someone that has the condo or, or the dorm room next to you, and just say, hey, uh, I want to invite you to my church for, for Easter. Love to, love to have you there and, and celebrate with us. Maybe you guys can come over for lunch afterwards. Do you really believe that, that one act of kindness could, could set you apart and, and change the way that you're loving and interacting with your circle of influence? Maybe, maybe it's, it's that other family that's in your, your kid's class. Maybe it's that person that's on the, the baseball or soccer team with you. Maybe it's it's the person up the street or, or down the road, but what does it look like to say, "I love my city"? And practically, in my circle, in my sphere of influence, this is what that looks like. I care about someone's salvation. I care about their eternity, and I want them to know Jesus. I'm not just going to say I love my city, and really mean I love myself. I'm going to put myself and my selfish desires aside, and I'm going to prove my love through action. And through my heart. I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I'm going to have legitimate fruit. I'm going to have a heart that cares for people. I'm not going to be an imitation. I'm going to be the real thing. You pray with me. God, from the beginning, we have said that we want to be a church that cares for people, or not just that cares for people, but we want to be a church that would be missed if we were to disappear. We don't want to just be a church that holds services. We want to be a group and a movement of people who are investing in those around us, who are caring for those around us, who are taking an eternal interest in those around us. And God, you have put people in our lives, our next door neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, our family members. You have put people in our lives who do not know your love. God, people that that do not know you in any way and people who are lost without you. And Lord, if we're going to say that we love our cities and we love our families and we love our circles of influence and we love our streets and our neighborhoods and our schools, Lord, that comes down to loving people. Loving people is the fruit that we should be able to see in our lives. So God, I pray this week that you will give us a burden for people in our lives. Give us a love and a genuine desire to see those people know you and grow in a relationship with you. Lord, I pray that the fruit of our transformed hearts and lives and the fruit of our kindness to them will not be something that we, we boast about or, or point to to brag about ourselves, Lord, but just that when, when people look at us, they'll say their heart and their spirit and their character and their emotions, it's genuine. They do love people. They love people like Jesus. So God, bring to mind people that we can love this week. It might be as simple as a dozen cookies. It might be doing some yard work for someone. It might be in the form of babysitting. It might be carrying in groceries. Lord, it might just be conversation and a smile. Help us to love our city this week. Help us to not just be religious and fake and phony and pretend to be something that we're not. Help us to be real. Lord, out of that realness, I pray that people see you God, we pray that people will be changed as they interact with you. So Lord, we just, we lift, lift us up as a church. Lord, we're going to walk out of this room and the church does not stay here. The church goes. And so we pray that we will be on mission this week with a heart for others. And pray that we will love others in your name. God, it's in, in your name that we pray. Amen.